We are in the as 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 we have divided this single sermon, uh, we are in the second chapter of the three chapters that cover the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew. I want to read an Old Testament verse that really captures what Jesus is teaching here. In Jeremiah 23, 24, God says this. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? God is asking a question to humanity. Can anyone hide anything that they're doing? Anything that they're thinking? Anything that they are intending? And I shall not see it? If we grasp that truth, what a difference it would make when we're, when we're not gathered together. What a difference it would make when we are alone and all by ourselves and even have the opportunity to sin And what a difference that would make if we captured that when we do gather together. And that's actually where Jesus brings the teaching. He brings the teaching that God who sees in secret will reward openly. And he brings it right into the very things that we call religious practice in Matthew chapter six. I want you to we're just going to survey this quickly. Three times Jesus says the same statement. Look at verse four. You'll find it at the end of verse four, Matthew, chapter six, verse four. Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Look at verse six. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And look at verse 18. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's here's a quick overview Jesus teaches that reward goes to the person not who gives the most, not who prays the best, and not who is visibly devoted to religious gatherings. The reward of the Father is given to those who honor Him first in secret. What led up to this section? In chapter 5, which we've already covered, Jesus begins His instruction by portraying in the Beatitudes the essential elements of Christian character. Poor in spirit. Merciful. He goes on to indicate by his metaphors of salt and light what kingdom citizens living with the appropriate character do. That is, they have influence like salt, which, which prevents decay, and light, which illumines darkness. And what does that is how they live. And so if you're living like that, a city that is set on a hill, you can't hide that. That kind of influence is going to be pervasive in your family and in your community. Jesus then describes, and we covered this last week in depth, that the righteousness he is looking for, that the righteousness he gives exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And to do that, he takes six legal texts. And he shows the lawfulness of the law, but he also shows the limitations of the law to give you the righteousness that God demands. That righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And that salvation transforms the heart. That brings us to chapter 6. But before that, look back at the hinge verse. Look at chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says this, You therefore must be perfect, As your heavenly Father is perfect. 
The word perfect means mature or whole. Here's the idea. Since God represents our moral standard, no one can boast. Paul picks this up in Romans. Where, where then is boasting if the righteousness we have has been imputed to us? It has been given to us by grace through faith as a gift and the righteousness of Christ has been gifted to us. Who can boast? Therefore, be perfect as your Father is in heaven is perfect. So what Jesus is going to do in this section is he's going to speak into the universal problem of the sinful human heart. And, and here's the problem. We want to be seen by others. We even want to be worshipped while worshipping. We want to be noticed for worshipping God. That's exactly the applications that Jesus makes here. Here's the outcome, I hope, that this sermon brings in every single heart. Do your righteousness for God to see you, not others. For your Father who sees in secret will reward you. First, look at chapter 6, verse 1. A warning by the Son of God. Beware of practicing your righteousness. See, it's not a shift in topic. It's the same theme. It's about righteousness. Beware of practicing. So he moves from character to practice. Beware of practicing it before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Chapter 5, righteousness had to do with kindness and purity and honesty and love. Now the focus shifts to giving and praying and fasting. Jesus then moves to a trio of religious obligations. And he assumes these are being done. First of all, to give. What is giving to those in need? It is a seeking to serve others, especially the needy. To pray is to seek God and acknowledge our dependence on Him. To fast is to seek God and depend on Him alone through self-denial. And he assumes these are happening. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus is not opposed to the public practice of worship. Here's an example as we're going to move through each one quite quickly. Here's, here's the similar pattern. First, vivid imagery is given to make a point. Blowing a trumpet or praying on a street corner or disfiguring your face. All intended for others to go, hmm, he's pretty religious. Blow the trumpet. Why? Oh yeah, okay, we do notice you're giving. Because you blew the trumpet and now we see your activity. So there's this vivid imagery and I love how Jesus sort of confronts us with that right away. Second, there's an assessment by the Son of God that they have all the reward they're going to get. Third, there's instruction on religious practice of kingdom citizens. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. Fourth, there's a promise that genuine devotional practice will yield a much greater Reward, and that reward is your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So let's move through this trio of religious obligations. First of all, when you give. And amazingly, and we've got to hear this, giving to the needy alone does not please God. Just because we give to help the needy does not mean 
that God is pleased with that act. Jesus' concern in the passage is not with giving. That is assumed. He is concerned with motivation. Remember, the gospel always targets the heart. And Jesus here is going after his disciples and others, those who are gathered around here, and he is targeting the heart. And this makes sense because in chapter 5, he said there's a kind of heart murder that doesn't commit a crime, but it's still murder. And there's a kind of heart adultery that never enters into an illicit relationship, but it's adultery. So there is a giving that looks great on the outside, but internally there's a rottenness at the core. That internal aspect to external religion. So let's look at the imagery. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. And I want you to know this, uh, the next phrase, sort of a title, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Jesus uses the term hypocrite in all three examples. In classical Greek, that term first referred to an orator, a public speaker, and then it referred to an actor or actress. It didn't have a negative connotation at first. It simply means somebody who set aside who they really were and took on a character that was not them. They presented for fun or for entertainment or to move somebody emotionally. But the hypocrite always acted out on a platform on a stage. Do you know that churches can become theatrical stages? And even the non-professional actor can act something out every single week. And what Jesus is saying is, God sees that. Because He not only sees the theatrical display that may be happening in churches and in this church this morning, He saw in our thought life last night. And He saw what we did Friday night. And then so we can kind of waltz in here and play the part. And that's the idea of what a hypocrite is. A person who sets aside their true identity for a false one. Charles Spurgeon said this, To stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is the posture of hypocrisy. Here's the assessment by the Son of God. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. What is their reward? Well, the reward is what they were seeking. And what is it? To be praised by others. Oh, man, we, we heard how much you gave. I mean, just... Oh. Wow, we, we saw... I mean, because you blew a trumpet. Now our trumpet... We, it, nobody's coming in here and picking up and like... You know, look at me. But we have ways of letting people see us, don't we? I mean, we're, we're crafty enough to be like... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, you know that we have our. I mean, it's probably not even that blatant, but but what Jesus is saying is, when you give, well, he's going to get to that. When you give, do it in. You don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's pretty close proximity, isn't it? Many have documented how businessmen regularly wrote the phrase "received their full reward." Or you've heard this one, paid in full. It's the same idea. Um, 
It was a businessman saying, I have paid this person in full for what they deserve. And Jesus says, if you give even to the needy to be seen by others, that's all you're going to get. You see how empty that is? How sad that is? But Jesus isn't doing it just to condemn us. He's doing, us, he's doing it as a master teacher to lead us to the greater truth. Your Father who sees in secret, even if, even if somebody else is being praised for giving and nobody has ever noticed you, Jesus says, your Father who sees in secret, He's going to reward you. And that reward is great and eternal. Look at the instruction He gives in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that, so that your giving may be in secret. So here's the idea. It's not against, this, this is not a teaching against the public passing of an offering plate or of giving or of writing a check so that other people in our day and age are going to see that check. They have to record the finances. What Jesus is saying is in your heart, first make sure that you are giving to God alone. It is for His honor, as Lloyd said, in reverence to Him, for His honor and for His glory. And here's the promise. Look at verse 4. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. John Stott said, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. So here's the question. Are you satisfied to have God as your only witness when you give and help others in need. Others may find out about it. Others may share the blessing that you were to them. You can't prevent that. Others may record the finances that you give and stand in the back and give you your financial statements. You can't, you can't avoid all of that. But are you satisfied with God alone being your audience of one? He's watching you. Do your righteousness for God to see you, not others, for your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, as we are to give out of a genuine heart for people as God watches, so we are to pray out of a genuine love for God. Let's look at the second part. When you pray, Jesus says. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. He starts again with vivid imagery to expose motive, right? So, in the first section, it was blowing a trumpet. Here's the second one. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, again, praying like giving is assumed, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street quarters, corners that they may be seen by others. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, but you've been in a, in a setting where someone out at a restaurant is asked to thank the Lord for the food? And they stand up, oh, Lord, thank you for this food. That has happened. Thankfully, it happens less and less, I hope, depending on who you're hanging around. The idea is not to thank God for the food so that the whole restaurant hears you praying and knows that you're religious. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Here's, here's the important part we need to note. It's not about location or posture, but about motive. Do you remember Daniel when he was told not to pray? What did he do? He still prayed three times a day in front of a window to be seen. 
So it's not about posture and location. It's about motive. What was his motive? His motive was going to be like, you, you're not going to tell me not to pray. I'm going to obey God rather than man. And so you have the right motive in a different posture in place with Daniel than you have here. Jesus' point is this. When you pray, make sure you're really praying to God for His glory alone. It's the motivation. Because it's just as possible to brag about our private devotions. Well, just this morning, about three hours into my prayer, I was reminded of this verse. You know, and you're like, whoa, whoa. Okay, but those are private devotions. Don't tell anybody. Okay, you know, so it's possible to brag about your private devotions. Just yesterday, as I was reading through the entire Old Testament and I hit Leviticus, this jumped out at me. So I prayed for you. Thank you. You know, you know, it's so what would Jesus say about that? Be, be careful. That you're doing your righteousness for God to be seen by him. And you're not doing it to be seen by others. Should you share what God is teaching you in your Bible reading? I would say yes. Can you come along and encourage somebody that you have prayed for them? Yes. Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But Jesus' motivation was to encourage Peter while pleasing the Father. Here's the assessment by God. Verse 5, truly I say to you, they have their reward. And what is their reward? To be seen by others standing on the corner of the street and lifting up their hands in the synagogue. The self-advancement sought is the full reward. There is nothing left beyond the empty husk of human applause. Then he gives instruction on genuine religious practice. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Remember, it's about motive. Hypocrites do not pray in a private place. All their praying is done right here. But never at home, never alone, never just with their family. It's about motive. Authentic righteousness is willing to pray where no one else can see. Because Paul even went as far as to say that the church, when gathered in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place, and he's talking to a church, that men should pray lifting holy hands. That seems to counter contradict what Jesus taught here. And it doesn't. Because what Jesus is saying is when you're gathered, even with men with holy hands lifted in prayer, make sure that the motive is to please God alone. Because here's the danger. We can be so fixated on the mechanics of secrecy. We become police of secrecy that we become the very Pharisees that Jesus warned us not to become. So it's not just about, oh, you shouldn't pray here. You should pray in your closet. Oh, did I see you praying? You shouldn't be. That's not the point here. The point is, please God. Communicate with God to please him. First, the purpose of Jesus' emphasis on secret prayer is to expose our motives in prayer. At a later date, we'll consider sort of the example prayer that Jesus gave us. We'll not do that today. It's supposed to be thoughtful rather than mechanical. It's not this vainless repetition, and it's supposed to be with substance. Our Father who is in heaven, then that reverence, hallowed be your name, and then that focus, your kingdom come, 
Okay, there's a substance there. It's not mechanical. That he didn't give that to us simply to empty, to sort of with a with a blank mind recite together, but he is exampling how you communicate with the Father. Look at the promise of reward in verse six. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is encouraging you. Give to the needy and pray in secret. Because your Father sees that and He's pleased. That brings honor to Him and He will reward you. So do your righteousness for God to see you, not others. For your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if we are to give out of a genuine love for others, and to pray out of a genuine love for God, we are also to seek God through fasting to depend on Him alone through self-denial. Look at verse 16. This is the third part of the trio. Here's the vivid imagery Jesus uses to expose motive. And when you fast, again, fasting like giving and praying is assumed, but Jesus isn't going to go through all that right now. He's not going to give you the reasons why you fast or why His disciples didn't fast on an occasion. He's going to simply say, when you fast, here's the imagery. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And I don't know how this plays out, you know, among, among our, our generation this isn't popular. We have other ways that we exalt our religion. You know, but this is the person, you know, this never happens, right, to me. Maybe it happens to you. You, know, you look hungry. Well, I've been fasting for two days. I was hoping you'd notice. You know, it's never, it's, it's ne- it's never that direct. But we do things so people think, wow, you're really what? You're really religious. It's almost like they never say, you are truly a sincere follower of Jesus. You're really religious. You really mean what you're doing. You're exact. By the way, the Pharisees were exact. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 16. Here's the assessment by the Son of God. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward in full is what again? That you were seen by others. So Jesus then moves to give instruction on genuine religious practice. Look at verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting, here's the big idea, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. In Scripture, fasting is connected to repentance, self-denial, prayerful dependence on God, seeking a specific answer. And even though there are biblical reasons for fasting, Jesus doesn't teach those here. What He does teach is that when we fast, our motive should be to be seen by who? By God. We could add six other illustrations to this, a religious practice that happened here at Highlands. And we could say, hey, this is how the hypocrites are going to do it. But I say to you, they have their reward. And this is how you should do it. And in every single case, it's going to be this. When you serve God, regardless of in what capacity or in what sphere you are serving God, you do this first and foremost 
whether you're seen up here or whether you're not seen by by the congregation looking this way, whatever you do, first and foremost, make sure it is done for the glory of God alone in the service of others. Here's the promise of reward. A third time. You've seen, we've been tracking this. Look at verse 18. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the outcome I hope that happens in our heart. Even if it's a religious activity that wasn't touched in these three examples, do your righteousness for God to see you, not others. For your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's just take this down to to the level of purity. Saturday night purity. Friday night right choices. And your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward your living out before Him an awareness of His presence. But if you're seeking to satisfy self, if you're seeking to gratify a desire immediately and then wonder why there is no blessing of God on the back end, in some ways it's because you already have your reward, instant gratification. But your Father who sees in secret, you obeying His commands, you loving His Word, you being holy because He is holy, when He sees in secret, He will reward you opening. Yes, there's forgiveness for sin. Yes, regardless of what happened yesterday, you can come to the Lord in brokenness before you lift the emblems of His broken body and His shed blood to your lips. You can say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me. I know I'm your child. I have your righteousness. And there's nothing that would stand between you and Him. But you could still miss the reward that He gives to those who honor Him in secret, who worship Him in secret, who love Him in secret. The first step in pure devotion, pure worship, is to accept God's gift of grace, His pardon, His forgiveness, and the imputed righteousness of His Son that He gives with that gift. That's called salvation. That's when He initially rescues you. That's when you say, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Help me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in His resurrection. And when you confess this with your mouth because you believed it in your heart, the Bible says you are saved. Saved to worship. God is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. I love the illustration of Jesus as as He's walking with His disciples and the disciples go off and they're in Samaria and the disciples aren't sure why they're going through Samaria. Well, there's another way that, that, that honest Jews take. And they go off to get some food and Jesus, by divine design, meets a woman at the well. At a time of day that seems like she's avoiding other women. And of course, they begin this dialogue and he asks her for a drink. And you know the dialogue and it exposes racial tension. And it's it's, it's humorous on some levels, but very serious because Jesus is targeting her heart. And Jesus answers her. If you knew the gift of God. That's why we talk about the gift of God a lot here. The gift of grace. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, there's the well, there's the water. It even has traditional importance. 
She even notes that. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Then listen to what he says about this water. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up inside, welling up to eternal life. Christianity, unlike any other religion in the world, begins inside and works itself outside. If you have believed the lie that Christianity is about putting on the right clothes and looking good and doing this and hoping that somehow doing those externals changes your heart, you have believed a lie. Because the true gift of God changes the heart first and then moves to the externals. During this conversation, in order to make the point, Jesus says, go call your husband. Well, that was alarming to her because she knows that she's had five husbands and the man she's living with now is not her husband. By the way, Jesus knew that. Right. Can anyone hide himself in secret places that I don't see him? Jesus already knew her family tree. And she says, I don't have a husband. Which was true at that point. He even he even says that. And then she changes the subject. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our ABS class. She changes the subject to what? Do you remember this? To worship. So while we're talking about my awful background, I have a question about where we worship. And you know what? Jesus never returns. He never goes back to the topic of her adultery. And he allows her to change the subject to worship. Do you know why? Because her history of immorality had to do with worship anyway. It just wasn't the worship of the one true God. And so he lets her change that, that subject. And he says this. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. But see, that's not a change of subject. Jesus was going for worship all along. And then later on, he said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That that water that he gives wells up to eternal life and it causes a, a, a worship in spirit and in truth in our affections inside of us. And we worship him. In worship, it is the object that matters. Hypocrites, the object of their worship is who? themselves. They want to be applauded. They want to be praised. They want honor. They want reverence. Everything that God says should go to him. But in true believers, those whose hearts have been transformed, our desire is to God first and foremost. And then that works out into the service of others. Gloria Furman said this, the gospel keeps me relating to God on the basis of Jesus perfections not on the illusions of my religious achievements. Is that what you're trusting in this morning? Because we're about to observe one of the two ordinances that Jesus has given to the church to remind us that our righteousness is based upon what Jesus did for us. As the perfect Son of God, as the perfect man, He allowed His body to be broken as a sacrifice and his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And when we believe in that, 
We not only have that water that is in us welling up to eternal life, but we have the righteousness of Christ and we have the hope of salvation. And that's why we will say as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do this in memory. You're looking back to what he did for you. That's your hope. That's your righteousness. And you do it until he returns. We're living between those bookends of his cross work and his second coming. And the point is this. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Do your righteousness to be seen by God, not others. For your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. If that has not been the case, would you take this time to pray and to turn to Him? If you're an unbeliever, would you turn to Him in belief? God grants the gift of conviction. He convinces us that the primary sin keeping us from Him is the sin of unbelief. Believe. Those who believe are not condemned, John 3.18 says. And if you're a believer and you're like, I have not been living for God in secret. I have been living primarily for what others see in me and think of me. Would you this morning bow the knee and say, God, in every choice, in every thought, with every motive, I want to please you and do my righteousness before you. You're going to see me tonight. You're going to see me tomorrow morning. You're going to see me when I fill out my taxes. You're going to see me when I interact with that person at the office. You're going to see everything I do. And from this point forward, I want to honor you in secret because you see everything in secret. And I'm going to believe by faith that you will reward me. Let's pray.